Hello, and welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late Ella Manuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. Ella Manuel here recounts the story of a survivor of shipwreck off the northern tip of Newfoundland. It was first told by Neil Dewar himself, but bears repeating, if only to remind us of the terrible conditions that faced those wrecked on what was then the empty coast of northern Newfoundland. It's a tale of horror, suffering and courage, of compassion and survival. The tale of Neil Dewar, born in Scotland in 1793, began in 1816, when the young man, being a sailor in need of a ship, joined the schooner Rebecca, bound for a load of fish, from Cape St. Charles on the southern Labrador coast. It was mid-November, and as often happens at this season, they ran into a heavy gale that swept down from the Arctic. Out of the Cape Harbour it blew with all its force so that the Rebecca could not beat back in under sail. With the seas breaking, the wind buffeting, and shelter so near but so utterly out of reach, the crew of the Rebecca were indeed in danger. They sent up distress signals, but the people on land couldn't reach them in the small boats they had. Reluctantly the Rebecca sheered away, keeping well off the rocks, hoping to weather the storm in open water. For three days and nights as the storm blew, their ship hove to, in seas that rose mountains high. When the wind shifted, the Rebecca crew could do nothing but head her into the wind and keep the pumps going. Soon they were blanketed in squalls of snow, and their sails were torn to shreds as they drove under bare masts. Often they narrowly missed hidden rocks as the wind veered and drove them helplessly, aimlessly southward, and when night fell after the third day, their misery was increased by hail and sleet. The crew knew that they were now well away from Cape St. Charles, but they didn't know that they had drifted so far south that they were now nearing Cape Norman, the northern tip of Newfoundland. By the fourth day the snow had ceased, and around midnight the lookout shouted a warning, "'Hey, bear a hand on deck, men, we're close to the rocks!' but before the words were out of his mouth there was a resounding crash. The vessel struck, recoiled, fell on her side, strewing a tangle of rigging over her deck. Her holes filled with water, and over her broke the sea from stem to stern, determined to swallow its victim. The crew could make out land about a gunshot away, so they launched their jolly boat. Hardly had it hit the water than it broke apart, swamped and sank. The three men who had climbed aboard the bowsprit were swallowed in one gulp by a giant wave, and the bowsprit broke with a scream of breaking timber. Her forecastle now ripped away in a rush of water, the vessel filled rapidly and bowed her head to the sea. But the keel was caught on a rock so that the stern stood clear of the water. Here the remaining men caught their breath and crawled along to the longboat, cut it loose and tumbled in. They grabbed the oars, and heaving on them mightily, pulled away from the remains of the Rebecca. Then they were lifted 
on a rising wave, rushed onward and then downward until the boat reached the shore, only to be dropped onto a barely hidden sunker and broken into pieces under them. Hurled into the icy water, they were battered on the rocks, helpless in the wind's fury. Neil Dewar was dashed against the rocks and ice, whereas he wrote, I lay for some time insensible, and on recovering a little found both my knees and elbows severely wounded, but I contrived to clamber onto an eminence out of the reach of the sea. He saw that he and his companions were on a small island, a quarter of a mile round, with no shelter from the raging storm. Exhausted, he lay on the ground until dawn revealed the remains of the longboat, and he crawled under it for warmth. As the light grew, one by one, six other survivors joined him and huddled under the boat in dripping clothing, cut by the wind and blinded by the driven snow, with no fire, no food. As the storm abated, one man spotted a cask floating among the rocks. With infinite care, they rolled it ashore and found it full of cherry brandy, frozen solid. From it, they gained an inward warmth by sucking the ice. However, the brandy was not enough nourishment for any but the strongest, so that in the next three days three of the men died. Now, the four who remained rigged what was left of the boat and pushed it into the water. Neil wrote, When the gale abated, we tried to reach the Newfoundland coast, about two leagues to the leeward. We ran before the wind with a one oar, and it was three hours before we reached the land. The surf was so high that the boat filled, and the captain was swept overboard. Somehow the others, weak and ill, found strength to pull their comrade out of the water, only to have him give up the uneven struggle. He was dead when they reached the beach. And the shore? The Newfoundland coast, yes, but near the tip of the northern peninsula. Few there are who can imagine that empty, desolate landscape at that time. No houses, no sign of people. Before them was the sea, and behind, a wilderness of lakes and rivers, of cliffs and rocks and tangled bush. Neil's two companions went in search of help, promising to return the next day, no matter what happened. I was unable to move, so I sat by my dead captain and brooded through the long, dangerous night he wrote, expecting to be devoured by wild beasts. By daybreak I was convinced that my friends had been killed and eaten by wolves. I crawled to the cliff-top and started along the shore, following their tracks in the snow for a matter of three miles or so. I rested often under the trees, frequently disturbed by the howling of wolves. At night I climbed a tree, and at daybreak I saw that new snow had covered my companion's tracks. In despair, I went back to my captain, and I slept. Neil was awakened by the return of his comrades, with the good news that they'd found an abandoned hut on the beach some four or five miles away. Painfully, they all made their way to it, but found it only temporary relief, for they were still without food. So after a short rest, they set out again. After ten days, with nothing but the withered fruit of what Neil called the rowan tree, they came to a hill so steep and high and snow-covered that they despaired of climbing it. Neil staggered and crawled, digging in his elbows to stop from sliding backwards, until the two of the top shouted that they could see a house. 
Thus spurred on, Dewar now looked over a landscape suddenly become friendly and with the promise of help. Presently, the three survivors saw a figure moving along the beach on the other side of the inlet. They shouted and waved, but the figure with head down and shoulders hunched didn't hear them and walked out of sight. The men's hearts fell. Slithering and bumping their way down the hill, and with painful dragging steps they circled the bottom of the inlet. Here they found a small boat pulled up on the ice and waited. Presently, two Indians, carrying muskets and followed by four large dogs, came out of the forest. Neil called out that they were starving and in dire need of help. He spoke gently until the Indians understood, and then helped the three sailors along the shore to the hut of Isaac Isaacs. He was their employer, a white man from Carpoon, fifty miles from where the Rebecca had gone down. Now they were safe at last, thought the men. Here one should be able to say that their ordeal ended happily, that they were fed and restored to health, and that they found their way home again. This is a tragic tale, and the truth must be told. It was with compassion that Isaacs received his guests, but even as the three men rested before his fire, he faced a terrible dilemma. In his long life, dependent on his own resources, Isaacs had seen much, but never had he seen men so near death from cold and starvation. He doubted that he could save them. As the three men lay on the floor next to the fire, he brought them bread and spruce beer and watched them wolf it down, and then he fetched a tub of water and with it soaked the men's boots, carefully cutting them off with a knife. Hardened as he was, he was horrified by the state of their limbs, much worse than he anticipated. He wrapped their legs and feet in poultices of seal blubber mixed with soap and left them to rest. It was not difficult, even for the exhausted sailors, to see that Isaacs was upset by their situation. He sat for a long time, looking at them in perplexity and sorrow. He watched and comforted one who, during the next few hours, died in delirium. And then, with no other course open to him, he told the last two, quite bluntly, that they would die unless he amputated their legs. One of the two men, Richard Donaldson by name, said, I will willingly risk my fate so that one of us may be left to tell our friends what we have experienced. And he submitted to Isaac's sealing knife. Bleeding profusely, he died soon afterwards. What Isaac's now endured is almost beyond belief. He could not let Neil die as long as one chance in a million remained to save him. But what a chance! The sooner the better, he thought, and taking his sealing knife once more in his hand, severed Neil's feet above the ankles. Quickly he dressed the wounds with hot pitch and rosin to stop the bleeding, and when it was apparent the lad would live, Isaac's relief knew no bounds, but not for long. He watched Neil's hands grow worse and worse, until finally he was forced to amputate them too. Yet Dewar survived. During this time winter was closing in. The hut was cold, and the wind bitter on the bleak shore. It was time to shelter in the forest, as all fishermen did in winter. As soon as Neil could be moved, Isaacs wrapped him in canvas and woolens and placed him on top of a loaded sled. 
He harnessed his twelve sturdy dogs, and with three Englishmen and two Indians, they set out. Over the drifts and frozen lakes they went, until they came to a river by which Isaacs had built his winter hut. It was completely buried except for the chimney, and when they dug it out they found it warm, but the only light came from the chimney hole. Here Neil gained strength under the kindness of his companions. They had grown much attached to the lad, admiring his courage and endurance, and lavished on him all the tenderness of which they were capable. Neil was left alone much of the time as his companions went into the forest to set traps for beaver and caribou, and didn't return until dark. But in the nights they sat around the fire making moccasins and talking together. One night, discussing Neil's helplessness, they devised a way for him to get about. They taught him to roll himself on an empty flour barrel, and he soon became adept at this. When the fishing season returned, they all went back to the coastal hut, where Dewar remained until September 1817, when a schooner bound for Quebec arrived. He was taken aboard and delivered to hospital, where he was under proper care at last. A year later, he was sent back to Glasgow, and had to undergo yet another amputation of his legs. Dewar ended his account with these words, Thank God! my limbs are at length skinned over. I am still, however, in a state of great debility, and must remain for life a helpless object dependent on the bounty of the humane. That was the tale of Neil Dewar, as he told it in 1818. No doubt believing that God had spared him for something, even if it was only to enjoy each moment of his life, he would often speak of his adventures that long, cold, terrible winter in northern Newfoundland. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late Ella Manuel from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the Voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmore National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, these and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week as Ella Manuel reminds her readers of the miraculous rescue of people who had drifted south from Greenland for six months on the ice.